As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now, before we begin, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading The Times app to your smartphone. And also, quick reminder that you can see taping of The Game Podcast Roadshow live in the great city of Liverpool. And yes, I'm contractually bound to say that given who my boss is. It's at the Playhouse Theatre on the 6th of March. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, visit www.ctickets.com slash the times or you can do it the old-fashioned way and call 0871 620 Enough of that. Now we have our guest and I am delighted to be joined by Clive Petty, down the line, the excellent Jim Proudfoot, who lives in a place called Andover, and, of course, Rory K. Smith. First up, take a look at Chelsea and Everton. Chelsea in the now or neverland. Lampard, Howard's dropped it, Terry scored! Right at the death! John Terry claims the goal. And now, before we get into the game at Stamford Bridge, Rory, I know you were there, so was I. I need to ask you about this. Lukaku is an Everton player on loan, and uh, the, the Premier League have this regulation, which actually doesn't actually exist in most countries. In most countries, two teams can get together and, uh, and agree what they want to agree, whereby he's not allowed to play against his parent club, Chelsea. It seems to me like it's a stupid, stupid rule. I, I, I don't. It doesn't help the integrity of the competition, and... I don't see, is it some sort of legacy that they think Lukaku won't try hard against his parent club because he's still owned by them? Or what's, what's, what's the well, logic? As I say, I assume it's to avoid the embarrassment of Lukaku scoring against Chelsea, which of course Chelsea wouldn't want. I don't like the idea that players can be loaned to clubs within the same division anyway. You either play for one club. It's, it's not the point of the loan system, in my opinion. It's, you know, it's right. for helping the lower, for lower teams no, the point of players the lo- develop amongst lower teams. But, but surely the point of the loan system isn't just to help lower league teams, it's to help players develop. So if I've got a player at Manchester United and he's, he's a young player and he doesn't get enough playing time, I can loan him out to a high standard. What better standard could there be than the Premier League? And it's yeah, Chelsea, he's, at the, he's at the team that you know, a couple of seasons ago won the right. champions. If he can't get on the pitch to- at Chelsea, then... I th- Imagine I, if he were English. Would it change if he were English, right? You, you, you're an England fan, right? Would it change? Uh, would it 
Am I an England fan? Right. I'll, I'll, I'll wear that hat. Yeah, okay, I'm an England fan. Um, Finally, make a we've difference got one. if he was English. I'm not. Not in my opinion. No. I, I think that, is the problem not that that is what the loan system is partly for. It's partly to enable smaller clubs to have access to players they couldn't otherwise get. But it's also to enable players to develop with regular first team action, so that they can then they are more ready to play for the for the larger clubs. The problem is at the moment, and it's not just Chelsea who do it, that the bigger clubs are are taking it. Are running it by the letter of the law if not by the spirit so Chelsea have got 30 players on loan yeah. now th- that looks to me and again it's not just Chelsea this isn't an anti-Chelsea rant it looks to me like they're stockpiling players which deprives other clubs of of having the chance to have those players not just for a season so Vitesse Arnhem have got all these great players that they've got for a season or two but perhaps it would be better if those those players hadn't moved to Chelsea if they, they were developing at their original clubs such as Lukaku or Anderlecht so that they could kind of build their career slowly rather than go straight to the big club then the big club sort of loan them out here there and everywhere and of, of those 30 one or two might end up playing for Chelsea well it's, it's, it's a free market though. It's no a, I know it's not like Chelsea go and like, like, like steal oh, no, no, these no, it's fine. It's, for them I don't have a problem with it that, that's the rules as they stand and it's fine and Chelsea it's quite, it's quite an intelligent approach from Chelsea's point of view I just I, I do wonder whether it's healthy to see there's a line in your column today, today Gab in which you talk about the 12 clubs in Europe who have money and that is true. There are basically 12, 15 clubs in Europe who have any, have any sort of resources. Everyone else is completely reliant on various other means, whether it's loans or third parties. That's not entirely healthy. And I do wonder if, if clubs were prevented stockpiling these players, that might help well, a little bit. To be fair, I mean, that, that is a, a, a conversation for another time. You're right. I mention it in my column in the context of third-party ownership. Bill Edgar also has some extraordinary stats in, in the game today about just the absolute freaking imbalance that we're careering towards in Europe. And by the way, that imbalance would exist here as well if Sheikh Mansour and Roman Abramovich hadn't decided to go and blow enormous amounts of money um, on their clubs. JP, I just want to get you on this. Are, are you okay with the, with the loan system? Should, should, um, should the Premier League be a little sort of less weird about this and behave more like other more normal countries in, uh, in terms of allowing <laughs> players no, to not, get over this something? whole embarrassment side? I'm okay about it. I think I, I think the system works all right as it is, and I understand the, the the point that Clive made about the embarrassment of Lukaku scoring a goal against Chelsea. I think it's more the other way around. It's to prevent allegations. Uh, if Lukaku uh, missed the kind of chance that Zeko missed, for instance, for Manchester City at the weekend. Now, if Lukaku misses that in a game for Everton against Chelsea, that opens up a complete can of worms and everybody would say, oh yeah, the game's fixed, it's because he's on loan from Chelsea. I, so I think this uh, rule as it stands at the moment negates that situation happening. I've actually not got a problem with it. It's unwieldy. I know that the Italians obviously have a different approach in Serie A where uh, there's, a, there's a different approach to owning players in the first place, but you can then play uh, against the club that you are, uh, your parent club if you like. I think that the system that we've got in England is uh, the best of a bad job really. And, and I guess we're we're a lot more sort of pure and less cynical and less into our conspiracy theories in Italy because um, that scenario you described of a player missing a goal against his parent club, I don't think that's ever happened in Italy. Talk about the game, right? You were there. I, I, I thought I thought this might have been one of Chelsea's worst performances of the season. It, it looked to me like Everton really had the upper hand, and, and it surprised me a little bit because I thought Chelsea did well. Uh, last time round. Now, if I were to put my Mourinho mask on, I would say we didn't play well, but we um, showed great spirit and perseverance and so on and were rewarded in the end. Is, is that what happened? Chelsea started quite well. 
Hazard particularly. Then Everton, Everton looked really nervous, and then 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 they took control. And I think for an hour, Everton were the better team. They after about 65, 70 minutes, they sort of sat back a, a bit too much, and it, they, they started inviting Chelsea onto them. But to be honest, yeah, Chelsea didn't really look like they had any great ideas about how to break Everton down. They didn't look particularly creative. Hazard was very quiet. William was ineffective. Oscar, I was at Mourinho on Friday, the press conference, and Mourinho said a really strange thing for a manager to say, and I kind of see his point. He basically said that because of the floods, Oster's not been playing well. And that made me wonder whether maybe Oster lived in Dacia or somewhere in his garden was underwater, he was really worried. <laughs> but it's not. He's, he, he lives Mar- in Bath. Mourinho Oster. basically said, lives on the Somerset levels, he loves it on the levels. Um, Mourinho basically said he'll play well when it's sunny. Which is a really weird thing for a manager to say, and if it hadn't been for all the other shenanigans that were going on with Jose, a lot more would have been made of that. Um, Oster looks really tired to me, and I think it was the right thing to to take him off. I think he looks like he needs a break. Um, but no, Chelsea overall didn't. They didn't have much, and I, I think Everton deserved at least a point. Um, but then it's the hallmark of champions, isn't it? Winning when just winning when you don't deserve it, and you've got that when you've got players like Ivanovic, like Terry, and you know the delivery that Lampard and others can put in. You don't. If you get a free kick in the 93rd minute, there's every chance you've done a score. So, yeah, Chelsea weren't desperately impressive. They didn't, they, for a long time, it looked like it was the, the point in which everyone said, oh, this is where Chelsea's title aspirations have been blown up. But then they sort of, they have this habit, don't they, of, of handing on. It's very Mourinho, just to, just to sort of conjure something from nothing at the very death. They talk about that set-piece delivery. It helps when you're good at winning free kicks in the, the 92nd, 93rd minute. Yeah, well, Martinez made that point. He sort of said that Chelsea... He wouldn't he wouldn't go as far as to say they were diving, and he wouldn't go as far as to criticise Lee Probert, who I actually thought had an excellent game, Lee Probert, the referee. I, I was disappointed that Lucina Traore, who I, I was curious to see in, in the flesh for only the second time ever, that he got injured in mm. the warm-up. And then again, that, that led to Everton having this sort of weirdo, like, Morales, Naismith... Uh, combination up front. Why didn't we see Delafeo earlier? Is he not? I mean, it came on, but like, I was like, great, we get to see Delafeo then. Instead of the big guy, I get to see the little skillful guy. But no, I didn't get to see either. I didn't see freaking Naismith. I thought Naismith did okay, to be fair. It works hard. I th- I, I don't, no, 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 I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, but I just, just speaks to the point of. I, d- I don't think Delafeo can lead De- a line. Has Delafeo been injured? He's been injured for. Yeah, well, no. perhaps he wasn't the right being same state back in against Chelsea, perhaps. No, I mean, and to be fair, I think it'd be harsh to criticise the way that Martinez reacted. It's always hard when you lose a player in the warm-up, but he he reacted in such a way that led to Everton being the better side for vast periods of the game. So you can't really criticise. I him. mean, to be fair, unless you're the size of the Statue of Liberty, like Lucina Troyer is, everybody's going to have trouble leading the line against Gary Cahill and John Terry. Which brings up my point: they're talking about this on on TV, Clive, that John Terry may be the best English defender this season. Uh, are, are you, or central defender anyway, are you on board with that? I'll have to take the opinion of my uh, learned colleagues who've seen him play and uh, and compared him to the others and say if, if he's supposed to be having an outstanding season. Perhaps that is because he only has to worry about playing for Chelsea. Um, for once in his life, he, that's his sole vision. He's performing well for his club. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about the travel to England or uh, anything else. And, he's, and he gets rested by Mourinho. I'm not sure how outstanding he's been. Or is it he's just performing to John Terry-like standards? I'm not sure how appallingly bad he's ever been before, to be quite honest. Yeah. Just, he's just been, being John he's Terry. He's being John Terry. Yeah. All right, let me turn around and ask you then, Jim. Can you name an English central defender who's been better than John Terry this season? No, absolutely not. And and if everything that had happened um, and has been talked about at length and dissected hadn't happened, then John Terry would still be playing for England. And Terry and Cahill, on form, is the best centre-half partnership that Roy Hodgson could pick, in my opinion, in, in the World Cup. But I agree with that completely. Gonna, but it isn't going to happen. 
It so isn't going to happen. Will, will one half of that be there at least in Cahill? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So Cahill K- and Jagielka, K- that, that, that's Jagielka, what we're going? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but, it should, but, it should, but it should be Terry and Cahill. Jagielka was also excellent on Saturday. Although ne- none, of these, so? none of these people were anywhere near as good as Sylvain Distan. Yeah, well, we have a soft spot for, for Silver and Distan because he's like the biggest guy on the pitch and he's also the fastest guy and the oldest guy. Um, he's like 104. Well, it's it's funny because <laughs> I, I watched the game with a, a, a former, I'm going to name drop here, with, with a former British Olympian, actually. Sebastian Coe. Uh, no, somebody who's a lot cooler and a lot more handsome <laughs> than Sebastian freaking Coe. Uh, I watched it with a man named Dwayne Ledejo. Okay? Did you? Yes. Yeah. Who? Uh, why, and, why, what were you doing yeah. with Dwayne Ledejo? That's not really name dropping. Well, because he's not. It's a hell of a name. What? It's a great name. <laughs> he's he, 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 he happens to be a friend. And um, oh well, I was, in the, I was in the press box with Chris Akabusi. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think's faster? That's another great name, Dwayne or Chris? Now, now, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go the day, Yeah. And yeah. Who's 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 more handsome? Uh, well, it depends Not on the taste. Today's who wins every time. Exactly. So there. So it's two nail to Gab over Rory. Are you going to stop name dropping now? Needlessly, the point I was going to make is he was explaining Sylvain Distan, and because I was asking him, like you know, because obviously you're going to have this deterioration as as you get older as as an as an athlete, and uh, uh, although very helpfully our producer Dave McGuire has uh, uh, has decided, even though you misspelled the name Dwayne Ledeja, well done, um, he managed to. We have a whole gallery of pictures of of Dwayne uh, Ledeja here, um, and bizarrely some kind of professional wrestler as well. Uh, anyway. The the point being here is that he was was explaining that it's your your fast twitch muscles deteriorate, but you can more than make up for it in other ways and in, in, in the way you train, and you may lose some initial quickness, but actually you get stronger and if you do things properly, um, and he explained it very complicated, all sounded very scientific. I thought it was interesting that you don't have to necessarily lose all your pace when you get older. I guess is the is the message. Of course, ironic, ironically, Gary Jacob was at the Norwich game with John Regis, so uh, it's been a, been a great weekend for random British Olympians. I would suggest that Dwayne Ledejo is more handsome and faster than John Regis as well. But who'd win in a fight? <laughs> Who would win in a fight? <laughs> that, 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 that is a very good point. I, w- I want to throw this to, to, to Everton, though, uh, just for another minute, uh, because you try to project. You see where Everton have been. They've been in the, in, in the top eight, I think, what, each of the last five, six years. This is going to be another season where they're going to get a lot of kudos for the way they play. Martinez is going to be wonderful. And in the summer, Lukaku and De La Feo are going to go. Gareth Barry, I'm assuming, will stick around. They may have to sell somebody. Is this a classic sort of treading water argument if, if if you were Roberto Martinez would you try to get more Lukaku types on loan next season or would you try a different approach well I think there was an interesting quote from Tim Howard he spoke to Tony Barrett a couple of weeks ago and said that the problem that Everton have got is a really it's a really it sums it up is that the risk with Everton this season is that they're taking a different path to the same destination and so they've got all this kudos and all this praise which all of it deserved for their new sort of more ambitious more adventurous more stylistic approach but they will end up, it looks like, they do have a game in hand against Palace, but it looks like they'll end up finishing fifth or sixth, which is roughly where they've, they've always finished. And that, that's a real shame because they do deserve, you feel as though they deserve something a little bit more almost for the season they've had and for, the, for what they've done on the resources they've got. And you're right, it's a problem for, for he's got a, the same problem that he had at Wigan, just at a much higher level, that you don't have to, probably don't have to sell a player. Um, you're certainly going to lose the lone players you've got who've made such a difference. So he'll basically get to the summer having had this incredible season and he will be in exactly the same position as he was at the start of this season. 
Stevie Gerrard. It's a great ball by Gerrard to pick out Suarez. Beaten away by Williams. Henderson, second time. And Henderson scores his second goal of the game. Prior to today, Henderson had only scored twice this season. Now two in one game. But this was a present from Williams. 4-3, Liverpool ahead again. Liverpool beat Swansea 4-3. Uh, a lot of goals. It's the kind of thing where people are going to curl up their nose and be like, oh, look, a lot of goals, but a lot of bad defending too. Um, I thought there were obviously some individual mistakes in this game, but I didn't think the defending was as horrid as some people made out. And, and I thought there was actually some really, really good attacking play from, from both teams. Am I allowing myself to get caught up in the premiership hype, Roy? It's interesting that Rogers has said that it's individual mistakes that can't, and it's not coaching. Well, that, uh, otherwise, it, <laughs> that's surprising. That's the sort of thing that. that a manager. Yeah. He's got a point. You look, you look at some of the mistakes that Liverpool have made, and they are. I mean, Carlo Torre's own goal at Fulham is the best example. But I mean, there's nothing that a manager can do about that. It's just ridiculousness. And yeah, I mean, Swansea. Swansea. I've seen it. Seen a couple of times recently. Gary Munch dropped them. There's a bit more kind of impetus behind Swansea now. They're not a bad side at all. They they were underperforming under Loudrup. The important thing for Liverpool is that they won. I don't think it really matters. They've only got. 11 games left this season. I don't think it really matters how they win, as long as they win. Um, it always matters how you win. Not a, n- no, look, when you're trying to build something, no, look, it always matters. It, when you're trying to, trying to build something, yes, it does. But in Liverpool's very, very peculiar case, Liverpool, are a, it's a bizarre incident. Because Liverpool are title contenders, and behind the front four really shouldn't be, basically. And... They're in this in this situation now where they should they should finish fourth. They're six points ahead of Spurs. They should finish fourth. They can challenge for the title. All they need to do for that is to win. It doesn't matter how they win. They've got eleven games left. They've got no other distractions. In a lead that's this crazy, where, where all the other teams are so flawed, they may never get a better chance to challenge for the title. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you that so the other teams are also flawed, but we'll, we'll get back are to that. Are they more flawed than Liverpool? The, who are no, no, goals at Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool are more flawed than all of them, um, but that, that doesn't mean that in this season of all seasons, it means that they still have, that doesn't deprive them of a chance. JP, I want to no, say... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sure what you're about to say is a lot more interesting than my question, so go ahead. Well, I don't know. It was was an interesting game. I was at Anfield yesterday, and it was a very interesting game from a a defensive point of view for Liverpool because it wasn't just that they are prone to an individual error that they switched off defending set pieces, which is what uh, one of the goals came from. But Brendan Rodgers, and this isn't an anti-Brendan Rodgers statement by any stretch of the imagination, but, but one thing that was noticeable was the amount of space behind Steven Gerrard, who's playing as the deepest lying of the Liverpool midfielders at the moment, but in front of Skirtle and Agger. And that was space that Shelby was constantly exploiting. And you always sensed that Swansea were going to be able to score goals, even even when they were going 2-0 down. They were still creating chances, they were having efforts on goal. Agger was getting sucked into that, into that space, Gerrard wasn't coming back to cover Shelby, and it was something that Liverpool just had no answer to for a long time. And it's no surprise that when you look at the stats, yeah, they've got the, the best um, attacking partnership in, in the league statistically with Suarez and Sturridge. They've also now scored more goals than any other team, but they've only got the 10th best defence. Now, a side with the 10th best defence isn't going to win the title. Well, it, they are they are contenders, and I agree with everything that you say, that, that this is probably going to be their best chance because in the grand scheme of things whoever wins the title this year is not going to go down as vintage champions by any stretch of the imagination I I, I, I want to circle back though to that Rogers quote because I mean you highlighted it as well JP that it's it's a defence 
I mean, if there is space between your deep-lying midfielder and your um, center halves, then you either push the deep-lying midfielder deeper or you play a higher line. That's generally the textbook answer. Yeah. And when he talks about individual errors, I don't know. I, I recall Rory's mate, Rafa, for example, being kind of a fan of one Daniel Agger. Are, That's definitely yeah. are, are Agger and Skirtle just terrible now all of a sudden? I mean... Can we say that it's there isn't some kind of tactical or coaching responsibility? I mean, are you buying what Rogers is saying? It's just like, oh look, just these guys keep making errors. Nothing to see here. Nothing to do with the manager. No, what I'm what I'm saying is it's probably an implicit criticism of Brendan Rogers yesterday, in that it took a while to get that sorted out and to get the message onto the pitch that that here was a problem that the players didn't see it. It's more Liverpool's Hap has a defensive record is more than just Colo Torre slicing the ball into his own net or playing a square pass along the edge of the penalty area at West Brom. It seems to be about a, a sort of a bigger picture of an inability of players to track runners defending set pieces. They've had problems defending set pieces all season. This isn't a new thing. Of the kind of illustration of leaving that amount of space between the deep line midfielder and the back four that doesn't get sorted out. So whether that's down to Brendan and his coaching team or whether it's down to individual players not being able to make the necessary adjustments while the game is in running, I don't know. But it is a problem. As I say, it's more than just... The de- the defensive woes that Liverpool have is, is down to a lot more than just somebody doing one isolated daft thing. There's a bigger uh, and maybe problem than the that. The thing that, you know, as Gerard is playing this newfound role that everyone keeps learning about, but they keep talking about him while he's still as an attacking force from that deep-lying role. Perhaps what they should be focusing on is that he's not doing the defensive duties of that deep-lying role particularly well. That's what I get the impression from what Jim's saying, if there is that space still, um, it may be kind of dangerous to actually play that high line. So perhaps it is... Uh, Gerald should be the one dropping back a bit further. Well, I think is there not? I mean, the broader issue, and Jim's absolutely right, is that yes, Liverpool do make individual mistakes at the back, but the problem is that they are being exposed. Defenders make individual mistakes. Defenders who we know are good. I mean, even Torre, I know he's become a, a, a figure of fun this season, but he's not. You know, he's got like a ten-year top-flight record of being a pretty good defender. He's not some sort of clown. Defenders make mistakes, Gab. Is it not true? You're Italian. Defenders make mistakes when they are exposed to so much attacking play that they have the opportunity to make mistakes. If, if defenders have to do loads and loads of things, they will make mistakes eventually. Yes, yeah, so, that's, that's generally the, the, the way it works. If you make a, whatever percentage that is, if you put yeah. that situation more times, yes. Yeah, you're, you're more likely to make a mistake. So the problem is that Rogers is probably right that a lot of it is stupid individual errors. Martin Sturtle's habit of hooding people when the ball comes into the bot, for example. He's an affectionate guy. But he's a lovely man. But... Th- that suggests and, that they're being exposed to right. more than they should be. And so it's a system thing. So it's, a, well, it's, it's a also, thing. even this high line thing, I mean, Daniel Agger and Glenn Johnson, when he's on the pitch, are pretty quick players. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, you can't play a high line ever. You know, if, if you do that, it, you know, if you squeeze, obviously they'd be better off if they have a legit defensive midfielder. Well, they do, and, but he's injured. Is, is Lucas, in your opinion, is he? VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is he, like, I know obviously that's the position he plays, but do, do you think oh, he's yeah. top four standard defensive midfielder type or should they blow some of the Suarez money that they I may or may not get this summer on L- him? Liverpool need to have a... a, a a big look at their back six. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a top-class defender, I mean, someone like Javier Mascherano would walk into that team. The Possibly the central defender as well, actually. Um, they need to look at that area. But Lutis isn't isn't top four as it was, defensive midfielder, but top four as it is, he probably is just about I, not I, perfect. I, I want to ask, um, GP, I want to ask you about, about Gary Monk. Um, you talked about how, you know, the, they somehow looked better, I think, um, with him. I'm curious about this because we, we lavish so much praise to Michael Laudrup for so, so long. Uh, he left in reasons which I think are still a little bit unclear unless somebody wants to uh, tell possibly the inside story. Possibly him. And possibly even to him, yeah. And then all of a sudden this dude who I just remembered is kind of being a, a right back. Was he at Southampton really early in his career or something like that? He, was at, well, he started at, uh, with my lot at Torquay and, the, and he was in the worst Torquay side in living memory. Although this one's doing its best to run him close, but... Uh, so he started there, then went to Southampton where he didn't make the grade, to Barnsley, to Swansea, and, and I'm sure he freely admits himself as a lower league player who kind of was in the right place at the right time and a good side. And many people think he's going to be a much, much better coach and manager than a player. Uh, Based on what, one, though? I mean, what, what, on his two games? I mean, is, is, no, is he Laudrup-esque no, in his the, approach? The, 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 no, this, this is um, based on comments from... Brendan Rodgers um, from Martinez, people who've been talking about people who've worked with him, seen what he's like as a captain, seen what he's like in the dressing room and, and his ability to take ideas on board. I don't think that he is uh, really doing anything at the moment other than trying to recreate the Brendan Rodgers blueprint at Swansea, which involves a, a higher intensity pressing game up further up the field than, than Swansea were doing under Laudrup. And I think that is what is making it work. For Swansea, that is what was creating the chances yesterday, getting them into decent positions. So I think basically he is Rogers light at the moment, but will develop into a, a manager of his own ability if everything that people say about him is true. You can't judge him on, on what we've seen so far. An excellent performance at home to Napoli. They weren't bad yesterday, but they still let him four. One, he's won one game out of five. You can't judge him either way on that. But I think you can you can listen to the quotes, people that have worked with him, and then. You know, extrapolate from that the fact that Swansea haven't made too many bad decisions. They made the odd one. They haven't made too many bad decisions in the recent past in terms of appointing managers. They're prepared to give him a go. You'd have to say that that's a a, a huge vote of confidence. I want to wrap up. Obviously, I want to wrap up with uh, uh, strikers. Um, Daniel Sturridge has 19 league goals this season, which I think is just a phenomenal amount. But 
Wilfried Boney has also scored a lot of goals Nin- this year. 19 in all competitions. And he started slowly. Really slowly. I, I've been really impressed with Boney. I think he's he's on the quiet become one of the signings of the season. When he no. turned up, he was absolutely... I looked at this guy and thought, well, I like the look of this guy. He went a bit quiet after that, but then, then all of a sudden, I can't remember which game it was, actually. It might have been the, might have been the FA Cup game. Uh, when I thought, oh, he's... He, he looks a real player. I wouldn't mind seeing this guy all the time. When, when he arrived, the, the billing was that he was uh, he was a Drogba type based only on the fact that I guess he's uh, from the same country as Drogba and plays the same it, position. Drogba, Drogba's much more. Drogba was much more. He doesn't have the same air of naked raw Drogba, power. Yeah. I mean, Drogba was just exactly. phenomenal. Yeah, and I, that, Boney's not in that league. Boney doesn't but, bully. He's not going to bully no. a defense. He's not going to think. Oh, there's but but his his <laughs> threat is far more subtle. I think. But but Drogba probably has. has I mean, he's a better skill set. I mean, he's. A better touch and, and Drogba, what? yeah, 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 yeah. He, Boney's, yeah, he's a bit like an Asda version of Drogba. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure he appreciates that. All right, moving on. Talking uh, uh, Euro 2016. Now we have two options here. We can go through all the groups, and you can all make your predictions. But no, we won't do that. Don't worry, Clive. You don't have to do that. Clive is reaching for his I notes. I can't even remember the groups. That's how um, memorable this draw was. I don't even. Remember. Uh, I thought the draw actually was memorable because it was great seeing all those old goalkeepers, oh, goalkeepers up on stage. And, yeah. and I, I was shocked by how, like, isn't, I mean, you'd be familiar with Pat Jennings. Pat Jennings hasn't changed one little bit. It's fantastic. It's weird. It's like he's They should a, have done the draw out of one of his hands. He could have held all those. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't have needed But it's like he's a time travel. How does he do that? How Clive, does he? Clive just stopped short of saying Pat Jennings should have held all of those balls. <laughs> <laughs> No, is it? Sorry, Pat, if you're listening, you're not know, yeah. is, is it? Is it like 1978 in the Jennings household every day? Like, hair, how has he hair, managed to stop hair. time like that? There's, I, lo- I, there's loads of people from like, football. I wanted like, to see it flap as he came onto the. Uh, Jerry Francis. What the hell is going on with Jerry Francis's <laughs> hair? He, he takes that off at night. And just puts it on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough making fun of people's hair. You can have. Can a I make a point about the Euro 2016 draw? You can discuss Jean-Marie Pfaff, if you like. I don't want to discuss Jean-Marie Pfaff. I just want to say that if you look through the groups, as Clive is doing now, it's really easy to say, oh, the oh, Platini's ruined the Euros, oh, 2014. And that's, that's such a big country way of looking at things. If you look at some of those groups, it's the same with the Premier League. That the Premier League is six teams who can win, every, win it every year. Everyone else has to forget about it. It's the same with qualifying for major tournaments. That It's just the same 13 or 14 countries. They'll change a little bit at the bottom, the countries who are going to get knocked out all the time. It's fantastic to see that countries like Hungary and Romania might have a chance of qualifying. Turkey and the Czech Republic, in, I think in... Whose group of Turkey and the Czech Republic? In? Germany's group or something. Germany's group. Or Spain's group. They will have a chance of qualifying. And that's They're what, in Holland's group, actually, Holland's group, that's him, right. Yeah. Th- these countries will have a chance of qualifying automatically for the finals. That's really important for making sure that as many countries as possible can can be there, and it will help raise the standard of football in those countries. So yes, maybe this one will be a bit unwieldy and a bit be a bit rubbish, and some of the teams might be crap. But long term, it's much better for those countries, important football countries, to be there. So I'm well, pro the 2014 yeah, Euros. Yeah, you're probably thinking, oh look, I have an original idea, but actually, uh, I no. subscribe a million percent to what Rory says, uh, and I know yes. that goes against yes. the 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 general sentiment of this whole. Dilutes the competition like garbage that people that people point. throw out there. But who's it? What does dilute the competition mean? Well, that, we, that we can't really. If we have the same opinion, we can't really have a discussion, no, an argument yeah, between us. Right. Anybody dare to disagree with us that this is actually a good thing? Oh, silence. See, this is what gets me right because public opinion 
generally. You get the impression by reading the media elites out there and the punditocracy that UEFA have ruined this tournament by, oh, I'd literally let the little people in and who wants to see Gibraltar against the Pharaohs? Well, Gibraltar won't play the Pharaohs because they're, um, in, 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 you know, they're in the same pot. But in reality, then, we can't get anybody to debate with because actually I think there's a silent majority that's really, really not fussed by this. Am, am I wrong, JP? I think that it's going to make the qualification process tedious. Isn't it always tedious, it's tedious though? anyway. Like, exactly, it... but, but this doesn't help. That's what I'm saying. You know, if, if there's a little bit of jeopardy in, in, the, in the World Cup group, for instance, that, that England in an easy group contrived to, to make a mess of it. Were they going to qualify or not? Listen, all, all the established nations are going to get through to the European uh, Championships in 2016 now with this format the way it is. So from that point of view it makes it in my mind even more tedious than it has been before the tournament itself I totally agree with you will be the richer for having sides you know countries probably in some cases who've never qualified for a major tournament well, but, the, well the, the other point about the tournament is that there are six or seven well a couple of things first of all people are like oh how are you going to do it with 24 teams you're going to have the best place third place finishers well you know what, guys? We had three World Cups like this between 86 and 94, and it was fine. You know, the sky didn't fall. But the other thing is, let's face it, there are maybe six good, really good footballing nations in Europe. And then there's between seven and 20, 25. It's all pretty much the same. You've got nations who can show up to tournaments and absolutely bite the big one and be awful. And you've got nations who can show up at tournaments like Czech Republic or Greece and actually be pretty good, but right? This, so the two it, things it's that, one of the peculiarities of UEFA in Europe. The two things I'd like to know is when was the last time one of the eight, nine major footballing nations didn't qualify for the Euros? Is it Holland? Which well, one? it was England, England in 2000. Yeah. Well, are you That's counting nice. England among the... Well, of the nine major European nations, yeah, we'll count So England, England 2008, the, the Dutch missed one, didn't they? Just the, the Irish knocked them out. Was that yeah, the, two, that, was, was that, two, no. that was Louis van Gaal. Was that 2000? No, they were there in 2004. 2004. No. 2008, perhaps? Mm. Or did they... No, no, they were there in 2008. Did they miss a World Cup? They missed a World Cup. They missed a World World Cup. Cup. Yeah. But basically, all the major nations are there anyway. They they never miss out, apart from England when Steve McLaren's in charge. They never miss out. But the other thing is that we we tend to look at it, and you get, like Gab says, you get all these pieces saying, oh, these are terrible nations. We're not talking about Gibraltar and San Marino being there, although they have a right to try and qualify. We're talking about Hungary and Romania being there. These are big so, countries. And Iceland, who, who you know, this is the, the best generation of Icelandic footballers ever. Now they have a chance, and they've yeah. got a horrible draw, but they've got a chance of getting, getting to a tournament for the first time. I'd love to see Iceland no. involved Ooh. in a major tournament. And that, that, I think, is what this expansion is all about. Countries like Iceland having the potential to qualify for the first time. Now, one of the things that, um, that's going to be different this time around, Clive, is that UEFA have, with, with a great um, knack for naming things, they've introduced something called the Week of Football. I'm going to try and explain this in a nutshell. It's basically going to work a little bit like the way that the Champions League uh, works in the sense that there will be games at set, at set times. I think um, if you're in the UK, I think it's, uh, it's, what is it, six and eight or something like that. And there will be games, and rather, unlike now where it's... Uh, you know, staggered, where everybody plays on the same two days, I think Friday and Tuesday or, or, or whatever it is, there will be games every single day. And you'll still play twice and you'll still have three days rest in between. And I think it's great because one of the things that, that annoys me is that, and, and turns me off in national football a little bit, is that 
on the same night, it's, you have Germany playing, England playing, Spain playing, even somebody like me with my office full of televisions capable of catching every game in the world, I struggle to watch all those matches. Whereas now, if you want, you've got six clear, even if you only own one television, you've got six clear slots to, to watch games and you'll be able to, to, to watch Germany or France or whoever you want to watch you know, more regularly. Isn't that a good thing to promote international football? Yeah, I was thinking that from actually from even from our newspaper. I knew you as I asked you. Yeah, even from our newspaper point of view, there were times where if all the games were on the same night, you know, I mean, let's take it from a home nation point of view, we were just concentrating on England. But if we're saying that actually in this new expanded qualification period, the, uh, you know, the Welsh and the Scots actually have a chance of perhaps doing something. In fact, Wales is looking great until the Belgians pop their heads up again. Um, they would largely get ignored if they were playing on the same night as England. It was all going to be England. But now, as you say, we can do that. You know, you can have an England match report, and if some other country is playing on the next night, they get their chance of coverage too. And and everything else is reduced to a roundup or something like that. We, we can, as you say, we can focus our attention on Germany or or France. Yeah, um, but the, whether I agree with you completely, but whether the whether the, the public. Whether well, we don't, no, they're not playing, they'll chance. be bothered about Spain. Well, but you know what? It doesn't. First of all, the the Euro hipster nerds will will still yeah. be interested because yeah. you know they'll be like, "Ooh, it's Max Meyer." Um, but but, <laughs> but beyond that, um, <laughs> JP, you and I laugh at that, but those guys pay our wages. But, but, but I, I I I think beyond that, some football on television, international standard. I mean is better than no football yeah, yeah, on television. Yeah, course, yeah. Right yeah. now, like, you basically cannot watch Spain or Holland or, you know, these guys that people want to watch. might do England quite a lot of good to actually watch all, all these other countries play football rather than just watching England. It might, yeah, might say, teach people you know, affinity. The, the, one of the best nights was actually that, those playoff matches for the for the World Cup. I mean, you say, no, is anyone interested past England? Well, you know, were they playing on the same night? Well, is it um, that Portugal and, and, and Sweden, Sweden yeah, were playing? Yeah. Well, I watched that game. That was, you know, <laughs> that was yeah, riveting. That was, that was it. Yeah. So I think there is an audience for that. When I was at Wembley, you didn't miss much. All right, how about some quick hits? Everybody's favorite part of the show. And a reminder from our producer, Dave McGuire, please keep your answers to 25 seconds. Arsenal bounce back rather handily from their midweek defeat by spanking Sunderland 4-1, and Olivier Giroud steals the show. Rory, can we assume that his off-the-pitch issues are no longer going to affect him on the pitch? Well, probably not, no, because we, we don't know how the you know the mysteries of the human heart works. Um, it's uh, he, he looked like he benefited from a, a, a what, what the Arsenal Twitter feed described as a mini-break, which I think is probably not yeah, quite... Yeah, I, I read that. By the way, you can, uh, I, since we are cross-promoting here, uh, Rory writes this um, humorous... Uh, <laughs> In um, inverted commas. Uh, yes, bit uh, called... Uh, so what we've learned, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what it's called. But anyway, I think Giroud... He makes reference to that. So Giroud he's recycling was, it. Giroud was struggling before the off-the-pitch issues. He was looking a little bit frazzled, a little bit sort of tired, a little bit leggy. <laughs> Um, he was very impressive against Sunderland. Hopefully that is him back because he's an e- enormously important weapon for Arsenal. Norwich and Chris Hutton had a bit of a rough ride of late, but um, Chris Hutton is one of the few people we like to call warriors of the light. He is a force for good, battling against evil in the world. And he got his just desserts against the evil Tottenham Hotspur by... Um, sorry, not the evil. That's not nice. I, Clive's making a face. Okay. He got his just desserts against Spurs getting all three points and a nice goal by uh, Mr. Snodgrass. All well in the world then, right, JP? 
Uh, well, it's kept him in a job for another week. I think that had they lost to Spurs after the comments from uh, Dave McNally, the chief executive, I think that Chris Hutton would have uh, bitten the bullet. They would have been, you know, one goal in five games, no wins in five games, and slipping down the table quickly. But now Villa away, if they can win that, it looks completely different. Speaking of Tottenham, their performance was downright hideous. Somebody retweeted something purportedly by Jan Vertonghen, who uh, used a four-letter word saying, like, this game was, well, and then this nasty four-letter word. I didn't then find on his tweet, on his feed, I'm assuming he uh, deleted it afterwards. But that's kind of what it was, right, Clive? They were very poor, yeah. Um, Why? I don't know. I, I assume, let, let's try and put it down to the usual post Europa League syndrome because I think the long trip tired them out. Yeah, maybe. I'd to be fair, they had to fly into had, a war zone, right? They've had, I think, they've lost something like four or five of their batches that are immediately after Europa League games. So they're not handling. Uh, I mean, you could say when there was a break in that competition was when you know, Sherwood actually did quite well. Suddenly it's back and they've got beat again. They, if Adibayor doesn't score at the moment, they seem to lack a bit of a goal threat. I'm still not quite sure whether he wants to. Uh, Sherwood wants to play him as a lone striker up there with the two. It was a hideous performance. Um, fourth place was always going to be hard. I mean, they were always destined to try and look as if they were going to finish fifth, and I think that's probably where they're going to be. You're only six points out. Have faith. Wayne Rooney scores a peach of a goal as Manchester United win at Palace, but all the talk concerns Rooney's new contract. Rory, it's described as, quote, up to £300,000 this week. Um isn't the up to part rather important? I mean, I'm assuming you make up to £300,000 a week. I know I certainly do. Can you tell me why people are getting so bent out of shape over it when it's, in fact, a lot less than Cristiano and Messi and the club makes enormous profits and most of the uh, up to £300,000 a week uh, involves bonuses well, and not, performances? Not, not most of it. I think he'll have a, a fairly substantial basic wage. But, yeah, you're right. That a lot Most of, of the is, increase. It, yeah, most of the yeah. increase will be incentive-related. Uh, I'd always rather see the money go into a player than into a bank account for some sort of fat cat. Whenever kind of wages hit a new kind of threshold, people tend to kick off and say, oh, this is disgraceful, soldiers aren't paid enough, nurses aren't paid enough, that sort of thing. All of which are true, probably, I don't know how much they earn, but certainly nurses aren't paid enough, um, and probably not soldiers. That's not nothing to do with Wayne Rooney, it's not like it's an either-or, that you either give Wayne Rooney a £300,000 a week contract, or you pay loads of soldiers loads of money. The bigger question for me is whether Rooney himself is worth it in the context of being a footballer. And I'm not sure he is. I think it smacks a little bit of desperation from Manchester United. Hull City romp all over Cardiff away, 4-0 with uh, Jelovic scoring twice. Uh, JP, he and Shane Long have combined for five goals since the January transfer window. We were all saying that Hull were wonderful, but their strikers were awful. Now he's got two guys in. Was it really just a case about Steve Bruce sorting it out? And um, I assume they're staying up now, right? They're going to stay up, undoubtedly. There are several so props to Steve Bruce? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? And Mr. Alarm? They were, they were, Dr. They Alarm? Never, they were never as bad a side as people were making them out to be when they were on that long, struggling run. He identified the problem, which everyone else identified. They needed strikers. He signed two, one of whom I'm a huge admirer of, and the other, I think, is all okay. And Shane, Shane Long actually has been playing the junior partner. Jelovic has got... Uh, more goals since he signed. I think Long's a tremendous acquisition for Hull. And yes, they will definitely stay up. City huff and puff with Edin Dzeko producing a miss of the season contender. But finally overcomes Stoke 1-0. Uh, Clive, was this just a case of Champions League uh, hangover and maybe God punishing 
Pellegrini a little bit um, for his uh, for the mean things he said in midweek, uh, for which he apologised. To be fair, he punished him very much. He still, he still allowed them to take the three points at the end of the game. I mean, you know, it isn't this it was bad punishment thing? during the ninety minutes seeing his team play like that? Oh, it depends whether he's into a bit of Salem Hesse. He might have enjoyed that bit of pain for the time minutes, but at the end of it, he got three points. <laughs> yeah, Pellegrini down is an S and M guy. Hey, come on. Uh, yeah. You know. You could see it in his eyes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If this was, if this had been a Chelsea performance, I suppose we'd have been saying, "Oh, look, they ground out a one-nil win, and everything would have been fine." I mean, they they didn't play particularly well, but they got they got the three points. I think we just got sucked into this idea of City score three, four, five goals every week, and suddenly they're not. I think it's only about three in the last five games or something. But they did win, and and Negredo, he looks a bit he's suffering a bit, sort of. Ozolitis as well. He looks like he looks like tired as well. Actually, this this idea of suddenly playing through Christmas maybe seems to have caught up with him. Gab, one for you. I hear it was a good weekend for Real Madrid in La Liga, the Spanish version of the Premier League. What happened? The Spanish uh, version of the Premier League with uh, less crash bang wallop and more diving and cheating. Real Madrid won three 0 against Elche. Gareth Bale scored a great goal. Uh, that. I don't know if that kind of turned the screws a little bit and what was to happen next because Barcelona went out and had an absolute stinker against Real Sociedad. I, it looked to me like um, Tata Martino thought Real Sociedad were like the equivalent of uh, Alcorcón or something in the 10th division because uh, he made a bunch of changes. They played awful. They had Alex Song in midfield who was terrible. Gerard uh, Pique was terrible and then he got hurt. Everything was bad. Uh, they lost 3-1. It could have been 6-1. And then on Sunday, to make Carlo Ancelotti's uh, weekend even better, Atletico Madrid lost two at Osasuna. Now, Barcelona and Real Madrid also didn't get points, haven't gotten points at Osasuna this season. But Atletico uh, were, were definitely, definitely rather poor. And they've got the big derby coming up against Real Madrid uh, next weekend, which uh, could set, set things up nicely. This confuses me because I thought that no one in Spain could beat any of the big three. I know. I, where else but in La Liga does that happen? I know. All right, that's all we got time for next week. Uh, my thanks to Rory K. Smith, Clive Petty, and from the lovely market town of Andover, it's Jim Pratfoot. It is a market town, right? Um, yeah, you got that bit right. A quick reminder that you can see the uh, Game Podcast Roadshow live on March 6th at the Playhouse Theatre in Liverpool. I can actually exclusively reveal the guest. Well, not really exclusively because we told you about him on Twitter, but... There'll be two guys named Tony, both Liverpool fans, both Scousers, Tony Barrett and Tony Evans. And to balance it out, we have yet another Scouser, Peter Reed, coming in, representing the blue half. Uh, subtitles will be available for those uh, from outside the region. Now, tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members, £7.50 for non-members. To book, visit www.ctickets.com slash thetimes. Or you can also call 0871-620-4025. We're going to be back next week. Till then, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. 
That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.